Well, good morning, church, and uh, you have your Bibles, and open them to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be in verse 7, going through 14. We're going to talk about children of light, and um, I've, I've been aware, of, uh, made aware of the fact that I've already messed up like three times today. Um, I messed up uh, Pastor Dan, I messed up the pastoral prayer, I messed that up. Uh, I messed up sending the outline to Bob and Ron, messed that up. Uh, a couple of other things, just total mess up today. Um, hopefully, I can give you a few minutes of not mess up, okay? So we'll see what, what we can do here. So children of light, Ephesians 5, 7 through 14. So what is the difference between a Christian and non-Christian? Now, if we are to say that uh, they live their lives differently, I think in general that would be true. I mean, I would hope that as a Christian, we would live a life that matches the profession of faith that we make in Christ. So I would hope that. But you, you do know that um, there are people that are non-Christians that follow a pretty strict moral code. And that outwardly speaking, um, their discipline may surpass that of ours. Um, I mean, I, I know that, that uh, Muslims uh, fast on a regular basis. Uh, most of the Baptists I know have never fasted, even though Jesus has spoken of that. But uh, we don't. Um, we attack Golden Corral like it has never uh, been attacked before. And um, so, uh, you know, but people do. Uh, they, some places have, uh, some types of religions have very strict uh, discipline of the body and all of those things. And so um, just outward uh, goodness it is not really what we're looking at. The scripture that is before us today really highlights the extreme difference between a Christian and non-Christian, the distinction between the two. And there's no mixture, there's no middle ground, there's no person that's partly a Christian um, or someone who's just a little bit lost. The Bible makes it very clear that the difference is as far uh, different as light is from darkness. There is no similarity. And with the Christian, what we find is that it is the light of the world that is Jesus himself living in us that causes us to do things in life for a different reason and with a different motive. And with a different hope and a different outcome in mind. And so sometimes people in the world will do the very same things that we do. Exactly as we do. But yet they're doing it for a vastly different reason. So I want us to look at this section of scripture and, and just think about children of light. What does it mean? What instructions are we given about it? And what is the outcome supposed to be? How, what, what, what should happen as a result of living as children of light? So if we're looking at this section of scripture, first of all, I want you to see that there is a caution that's given to us, a caution that's given to children of light. And if you look in verse 7, in the first half of verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So there's a caution that's given here. And so verse 7 starts with the word, therefore, therefore, what? In light of what we have just uh, talked about in verses 1 through 6, 
And if you could focus in on verse 6 for a moment, he just says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so he'd already talked about some practices of sin and a kind of sinful lifestyle. And he said, you people that are going to live that kind of lifestyle and not repent of it, what we find is that they are sons of disobedience. And as sons of disobedience, the wrath of God is coming upon them. So therefore, there's a caution given here. There's a restriction of, of partnership. That's the caution. And what he is saying is don't participate with them. Don't become partners with them. Now, this does, is, is not a general rule. It doesn't mean uh, avoid all unsaved people. It doesn't mean uh, you can't be in the same room as a sinner. It doesn't mean anything like that. What it's talking about is do not participate in the deeds that they perform. Did you, do you know that it, it's the, the sons of disobedience are never satisfied with participating in ungodliness with other sons of disobedience? They always, always want to draw in children of light into their realm. They always want to see that happen. They want to see the children of light tarnished. They want to see them destroyed. They want to see them go down. And so there's that drive in them whether they even understand it or not, there's that drive in them that somehow if you as a Christian are going to participate in what they're participating in, that in some way it justifies them. Or in some way it relieves their conscience that maybe they're not as bad a person as they thought they were because, look, you're a Christian and you're doing the same thing. And so the Bible here gives us a caution as children of light. We are not to partner with them in their sin. We are not to participate in that. There is a restriction in this partnership. Then he gives us the reason for it. Why, why that restriction? Why should we not participate in these things? And he says in verse 8, 4, you see the word for there. So that gives us the reason for. At one time you were darkness. Now there's something to be observed here. And, and we need to pay attention to this. Here he doesn't just say you were in darkness. Though that is true. But what he's really meaning is this, not just that you were in darkness, but darkness was in you. That you were the very walking epitome of darkness itself. That you, you and I, before Christ, we are sin, we are evil personified. We are walking darkness. Now, People that have a different and flawed view. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. And, and so people that have a flawed view of humanity say to themselves and say about other people, well, yeah, there's, you know, there, there's sin in each of us, but there's also the, a little bit of the light of God. No, there isn't. Sin has removed the light of God from the human heart. It's no longer there. Since the Garden of Eden, that's gone. And so what we find is here the scripture is telling us that it's worse than we think. It's not just that there's some darkness in us, but we are darkness itself. We are evil walking around on two legs. That's as bad as it gets. If you do not believe that about yourself, you cannot come to Christ. You have to first agree with God. If you're going to confess to God, you've got to agree with Him. We have to agree with him not just about the things that we've done wrong, but we have to agree with him about the very nature of our hearts. And our hearts are dark. They're depraved. They're twisted. They're crooked. That's what we are. 
as sinners. But, but notice this, brothers and sisters, this, this is an important point and, and a rejoicing point. Look at this. You were darkness, but now, you see, if you have, if you're reading the ESV, there's a comma there between darkness and the word but. You see that? Darkness and then the word but now. That comma, that dividing line is conversion. That comma represents your conversion. The regeneration of your heart by the Holy Spirit that enables you to see Christ in His true light and to want Him more than anything else and to throw away sin and throw away a life of rebellion and put your sins upon Christ and embrace Him as your Savior. That's what that comma represents. There is no in-between. There is no word between darkness and but now. There's just a comma. And that comma represents that which Christ has done in you if you are in Him. So you can't be a gray person. You can't be partially dark. And no, you were darkness. But now you are light. Not just in the light. But you are light itself. Remember Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. If any man follow me, he will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he turns around and says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set up on a hill cannot be hidden. You yourself are light. You're not just reflecting. It's the light of Christ that's in you. The very light of life. Light is here. Truth and eternal life. It's in you. Why? Because Christ is in you. The hope of glory. So now you are light itself in this world. You are light. And we are light how? In the Lord. By virtue of our union with Christ. That's how it is. His light in us causes us to be light. You know, it's like... um, you know those uh, landscaping lamps you get that are supposed to be like solar powered that never work? But in theory, what happens is it's the, the light of the sun charges that thing. And then that thing glows and gives off light on its own. It's not its own light though. It's the light of the sun that's in it. And it's the same for us. It's not our own light. It's not as if we in and ourselves are going around and showing people Jesus. It's His light in us. And that light shines out from us by virtue of the fact that we are in union with Him through faith in Him. That's what it means to be children of light. The reason that we cannot be darkness is because it's completely opposed to our very nature. It is impossible for light to also be darkness. It cannot be both. Now, having said that, is it true that we are in the sanctification process? Yes, it is. As followers of Jesus, we are capable of any sin We're capable of it. Why? Because God has left enough corruption in our hearts to make us flee to Him daily. Knowing our own hearts, 
that God has not eradicated all of that out of us causes us to turn to Him and to the, the means of grace that He has provided. The preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the Word of God is a means of grace that will cause us to reflect light out. The Lord's Supper, baptism, studying the Bible privately and together, worship, public worship, private worship. These are the means of grace and we should partake of all of them. And it is by this means that sin is mortified, put to death daily, and that the light of Christ can clearly shine forth through our lives. But make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, your nature now is light. You gravitate toward light. You live for light. You want light. You embrace light. You hate darkness. And the darkness that you find in yourself, you hate it worse than anything in the world. You do not love darkness. Before when you were darkness, you loved darkness and wanted more of it. Jesus said they will not come to me because they love darkness more than light because their, their deeds are evil. The reason that people don't come to Christ is that very reason. The reason you didn't come to Christ was that very reason. Because when you were darkness, you loved darkness. Darkness loves darkness. When light comes in, darkness has to flee. Darkness doesn't like light. And before Christ, that's what we were. But now, you are light in the Lord. Not on your own. We can't stand on our own. But in union with Jesus, we are. That's the caution, though, to children of light. And that is, no partnership with the darkness. And the reason for that is because it's just not our nature. Light and darkness just don't mix. Now, the conduct by children of light. What does it look like then? He, he tells us, he gives us a command in verse 8, walk as children of light. So we have a command there. And so what does it look like to live out this nature now that we've been given? This new principle of light that's in us as opposed to the principle of darkness that was always at work. Now this principle of light is always at work. The, the, the principle in us that loves God and loves the things of God and loves the truth of God and loves the ways of God and loves the people of God and loves the word of God and loves the songs of Zion. What is that in us? How does it look when we live day to day? Well, here, here's what he tells us. There's a practice of our conduct when he says walk as children of light. This is an ongoing thing. It's a habitual thing. Just as much as those who are in darkness practice sin habitually, every once in a while they slip up and do something right. Right? But as children of, of light, we are to practice something. We are to live a certain kind of way on a daily basis as a habit. So the word walk here is indicative. It, it, it reflects or it describes a way of living. We're on a walk. We're on a walk towards Zion. The beautiful city of God. We're walking there. And the way that we walk, every step that we take day by day by day is to walk in the light as He is in the light. And if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Walking day by day. The practice of it. When we as Christians fail, sometimes we fail really big. And when we do, you know what's happened? We've had a period of time in our life where we were not walking in the light. We step over and start walking in darkness long enough. Then we find the collapse. 
Walk in the light. It has to be your habit every day. How, how do you do it? That, that sounds metaphorical. It sounds sort of austere. It, it sounds, how do you get your hands around, you know, what, how do I get my mind around what it means to walk in the light? Well, it just means to live according to the truth. See, the truth lights your way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, God's word is light. It lights the footsteps of Jesus for you. And you just follow it. You don't have to know way out there. You don't have to know that. You have to know today in the next step. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. But as soon as you stop following that, you depart into dark. Oh, it's little by little, but you depart into darkness. And the next thing you know, you're far from God. So as children of light, we've been given a command. Be ever walking in the light is what it means. Be ever, be always walking in the light. In other words, be always be living your life according to the standard of God's word. Now, I'm going to take pastor privilege here and, and, and depart for just a moment with a sidebar about God's word. I, I want to uh, just maybe introduce something to you that you're not used to. And maybe you don't know anything about at all. But how do I determine with Pastor Dan what we should do in a public worship service? Shall I dress up as a clown next week because it might draw a bigger crowd? Shall I ask your Sunday school teachers to all dress up as perhaps superheroes so the kids would pay attention better? Should we maybe bring in a Christian juggler? Well, you have one. It's called a pastor. But What's permissible? What's allowed? Maybe I should get a bodybuilder up here with his shirt off to teach and maybe some of you pay attention more. What's allowed? Should we have Black History Month? And incorporate that into our worship service. Should we have Hispanic History Month? Should we have White History Month maybe? German History Month. That's my favorite. Should we incorporate that in? Should we have Patriotic Day and incorporate that in? How do you decide? How do you decide what to put in and what to leave out? How do you make that decision? Shall we make it based upon preferences? Shall we take a poll among us and see what you all want? Is that how we should decide? How do you decide? Have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought of why? What should we have in here in public worship and why? Have you ever thought about that? Here's where I have been going for at least the last couple of years. I have studied the scripture and the scripture gives me the instruction. I look at what the early church did according to the scripture and here's what they did. They studied the apostles' doctrine. If that's too much for you, then you're in the wrong place. This is what church is. It's studying the, the apostles' doctrine so that we may live rightly. It is participating in the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 2, look at these things. It is prayer, including prayer. And Pastor Dan tried to include more prayer today and I skipped him. So I'm sorry, Pastor Dan, I messed that up. But peop, the people of God praying together. The book of Ephesians tells us that we sing together. 
We're not here to perform. Our people don't perform. Have you ever noticed that I quit doing solos here? We do a few every once in a while, but we don't do many. You know why? Because solo is you sit and listen and somebody else worship. That is not what the church did. God's people sing. We all lift our voices to the Lord. And so this is the way that I make decisions about what should be allowed here. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Give me a biblical reason. Give me the Bible. Don't give me your preference. Don't give me what you want. Give me the Bible. If I'm wrong about it from the Bible, I'll fix it. Do do you understand what I'm telling you? And so, you know, you may get your feelings hurt about some of that. But here's the thing. I do not want any mixture of anything with Jesus. This is about Him. This is His place. This is His time. It is all about Him and nothing else. It's about Christ. That's what we do. And let me tell you something. Let me explain something to you. If the United States of America ceases to exist tomorrow, this church still exists. This is God's people. Those people out there aren't God's people. Those people are lost. The overwhelming majority of America is lost. We have got to show them something different. We're not just like them. We're different from them. So why why do I say all of this? Our practice, what we practice individually, but also what we practice publicly, has to be according to what the Scripture tells us to do. We're not looking for permission Well, God doesn't tell me I can't dress up like a clown. We're looking to see how does God say He wants to be worshipped. He doesn't give us all of the possibilities of things that He doesn't want. That would take volumes and volumes and volumes and we'd never have. What about that on the third Sunday? What about, you know, we'd be like the children of Israel, like trying to find a loophole all the time. We're not looking for loopholes. We're looking for what does God say about how He wants to be worshipped. And that's what we're doing. And it's not empty. It's not as if something's missing. The only thing that's going to be missing is entertainment. That's what's going to be missing. But I'll tell you what's not going to be missing. What's not going to be missing here is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We're going to be able to leave here and say, we worship God the way He wanted to be worshipped. Not the way I wanted to worship Him, but the way He wanted to be worshipped. And that's what we're trying to lead us to do. I want to be able to say before the throne of God that we worshipped Him the way He wanted. That's what we're trying to do. And I'm also trying to teach you in your private worship. This is how he wants to be worshipped. Worship him that way. Like he says. Well, pastor, it's kind of boring. Well, newsflash. You're not being worshipped today. It's up to him. And what he says, then that's the way we worship him. You say, well, pastor... Bible doesn't have guitars in it. I beg to differ. You see, the Bible tells us to use all kinds of instruments to make music to Him. All kinds. Now, we want to be respectful. And Pastor Dan and I, we always talk about, was it too loud and the people couldn't hear themselves sing? We talk about that because what we're wanting to hear is your voice. That's what we want to hear because we know that's what God wants to hear. Thank you for giving me a few minutes, but I I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And and if I'm wrong about it, take your Bible and show me I'm wrong. I'll fix it if I'm wrong, biblically speaking. 
But we, we can't pacify all that stuff. We have to walk as children of light. Our conduct has to be a certain way. It's not modeled after the world. It's modeled after the scripture. In public and in private, that's what we're trying to do. Now, what's the product? What is the result of our conduct? And, and verse 9 tells us these are the characteristics that we should look for in our lives if we're walking as children of light. Now, notice he doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us a laundry list of 25,000 things to do. He gives us characteristics of what it looks like to walk in the light. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here's the thing. If we're walking in the light, that is, we're walking according to the scriptures. We should be able to look at everything that we do and say, that is good. What do we mean by that? Good according to God's character. Not what we think is good. But good according to God's character. Does this reflect the goodness of God? If it does, I'm walking in the light. And then we should ask ourselves, is it right? And the, the, the word here has to do with righteousness. Does it look like the righteous acts of Jesus? Now, we're not here to copy Jesus. We can't copy his every action. That happened at a period of time that is just not the same period of time. But we can imitate those kinds of actions. In other words, I'm not required to go over to the pool of Bethesda and, and lift, lift a cripple up and heal him in order to do the work of Jesus. I don't have to duplicate what he has already done. Many of those things only the Son of God can do anyway. But I don't have to duplicate. But... There are parallels in our lives that we can say, this is like him. This is what he's like in righteousness. This reflects the righteousness of Jesus. And then also this. What I'm doing, how I'm living, is it true? This has to do with honesty and integrity. Can I look at my life and say, it's filled with honesty and integrity? Is it now? Brothers and sisters, we all are going to fail. We're, we're not going to live up to these things perfectly. And I'm not giving us an out. I'm giving us a reason for repentance. We're going to, we're going to fail often. But, but yet, walking means a direction. You ever been walking somewhere and fell down? Yeah, sometimes you do. You ever been walking somewhere and you took a wrong turn? Yeah, sometimes we do. But this should be the general tenor of our life. This should be the direction that we're going. We should be able to look at our lives and say, you know what? I know that God is in me and I'm walking as a child of the light because I see in life goodness and righteousness and truth. That's coming out of my life. That's the fruit of walking in the light. So therefore, we get to verse number 10. And that's the proof. Proving our conduct. Verse 10 says, and try to discern or trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, here, here's what, the, the, verse 10 is connected to verse 8 and 9. So let's don't take it away from there. Verse 10 doesn't mean you're standing out in the middle of the cornfield and you're trying to get figured out, wow, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Lord, I don't know what the will of God is. My goodness, what's the will of God? It's not that, it's not that kind of thing to be pondered. Here, here's what this really means. The word discern there means, it means to prove. It was used in a secular way to talk about metals. Is that metal true? Is it genuine? Is it real? 
Or is it polluted with all kinds of alloys and it's not really real? Have you seen like a blacksmith? You know, they have to get, get their iron, you know. And if it's certain kinds got too much stuff in it, you, you, can't do, you can't form it. You can't do anything with it. It has to be the right kind. And so it's the same way in our lives. If there's too much stuff going on, it's not being formed. It's, there's too many pollutants in there. And so it's not being formed by the maker's hand to become the weapon that it needs to be or the tool that it needs to be. And so we are to live our lives and be able to prove through our life that yes, we are walking as children of light because the proof is in the fact that in my life I see by and large goodness and righteousness and truth. That's how we prove it. And so that's the proof through our conduct. Our conduct actually proves whether or not we are children of light. Now, if you are not a, a Christian, if a person is not a Christian, they're not worried about righteousness and truth as part of their conduct. They don't go around going, hmm, boy, man, uh, I'm thinking about doing this, but I don't know if it's righteous or not. They, they, they don't worry about those kind of things. The only time they worry about honesty is if in some way it's going to benefit them. They want people to have a certain viewpoint of them so that they can use it in some way in their life. It's still about them. They're not worried about, is this true before God? But see, for the person, the, the, the child of light, the person who's walking in the light, that's what's on their mind. Is this true before the Lord? Is this right before Him? Is this good according to His nature and character? And if my life is showing those things, then it proves that I'm a child of light. Now, what is the call? We've been given this caution, and then we're talked about the conduct of children of light. Now, what is the call of the children of light? In verses 11 through 14, there's a call that's given. He says, take no part, in verse 11, in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, we've already been given that caution. Now, he's given us a command. But instead, here's the positive side, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, these verses are a little bit uh, difficult, a little bit cryptic, um, and, and in some places seem almost contradictory. Like, for example, expose them, but don't speak of it. I'm like, okay, okay how, how does this work? Here's, here's, here's what it's saying. Let your life be a contrast to darkness. How are you supposed to expose the darkness? Remember, it says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Remember this. Your call as a child of light is to expose the works of darkness. You don't have a call to go around embarrassing people and trying to publicize their sin. That's why verse 12 is the corrective. Don't be talking about it. Don't be talking about everybody's sin. Don't be talking about sin all the time. Go around talking about sin. Next thing you know, you know what's on your mind? Sin. And when you get sin on your mind, guess what happens? You do it. So this is not a thing of like you're on the sin patrol now. You're the sin police. And you need to go out there and catch some people in some good old-fashioned sin. And take out an article in the Gazette and let everybody know. That's not what this means. What this means is that you and I are to live our lives in such a way that walking as a child of light 
is such a contrast to the sons of disobedience and those who are in darkness that it exposes what they do for what it is. Our life is to cast light upon the darkness of the world and make it very clear that there is a distinct difference between those who walk in the light and those who walk in darkness. It's your life that speaks. I would say to you, be very, very careful about pointing out other people's sins verbally. Be very careful about that or you find yourself doing the same thing. The Bible gives us some instructions for our leadership. That there are times for our church members that, yes, we have to go speak to them about some practice of sin. Now, why? Because we're mad at them? No. Because we're concerned for their soul. That they continue to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin and they're not going to make any change in their life. We have to worry if they even know Christ or not according to what we learn from the scripture. Our concern is for them. Our care. And the Bible tells us we go with humility. Considering ourselves lest we also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there are times when leadership is to do that. But it's not up to the lynch mob of the congregation to crucify someone. Does that make sense? There's a right way. The scripture gives us a way to handle these things. And we handle them rightly. But in the meantime, what are we to do on a daily basis? Each one of us, as followers of Christ, live our life in such a way that it's such a contrast to the darkness that the people who are walking in darkness will see the difference. And perhaps some of them will even become convicted of their darkness and begin to turn to the light. And that's what we have in the next verse, uh, in verse 14. This is the, the, let your life bring conviction to the dead for anything that becomes visible as light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Do you know what you're giving there? That's the gospel call. That's your verbal witness. But only because you're walking as a child of light. Only because your lifestyle exposes the darkness. And as your lifestyle exposes the darkness, then you'll have opportunity to say to those who are in darkness, who are, as the Bible says in Ephesians 1, dead in their trespasses and sins, you give the call, arise, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, I want to say something to you, and I hope it's understood well about evangelism for a moment. Some people have the mistaken thought that if we were just to go and post scripture, maybe the Roman road on every light pole in Chillicothe, that we'd have droves of people come to Jesus. Well, I mean, better scripture on there than other things that people put on there for sure. Um, we could put it right under lost puppy or something, you know. But some people think that. Some people think that all you got to do is go up to someone that doesn't seem to know Jesus and plow through a gospel presentation, two ways to live or whatever you want to use. Just plow through it. And that's the key. People get saved all over the place. And it really is not true. That really isn't true. see, if anything, the book of Ephesians has taught us this. People that are dead in sin don't hear Scripture. 
they don't really hear it. You say, well, oh, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God and salvation for everyone to believe. First the Jew and then the Greek. I know it's the power of God's salvation. I do know that. I know that to be true. But just taking some verbiage, even laced with scripture, and jamming it into someone's mind does not cause salvation. The person is dead. They're dead in sin. They don't hear it. It's just blah, 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 blah to them. It's why it's so maddening sometimes to talk with people and you'll be talking about something serious and they branch off and start talking about, you know, the ball game or something. You're thinking, wait a minute, were we not talking about eternity? What are we talking about here? Drives you crazy. Do you know what the issue here is? The book of Ephesians has taught us that the Holy Spirit of God, and we read this in our catechism this morning, the Holy Spirit of God must call them. There must be, by the Spirit of God, a conviction of sin. There must be an enlightening of the mind. There must be a stirring of the heart. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God must operate on that soul. If the Holy Spirit of God does not operate on the soul, you can share the gospel all you want to with that person, and it will have zero effect. Have you not been reading in Sunday school how the Apostle Paul, great evangelist that he was, failed most of the time? He witnessed directly to Festus and to Felix and to Herod, and they all said, eh, no thanks. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God must precede that. See, you're in partnership with him, so this is why just learning a gospel presentation is not enough. It must be preceded by prayer. And if you are not fervently praying for the salvation of that person with whom you want to witness, chances are they're not going to receive it unless they've got a grandma somewhere that's been praying for them for the last 30 years. Right? But somebody has got to be begging the Spirit of God to do the work that only He can do. Otherwise, it just falls flat. So in your evangelism, you need to realize, and I need to realize, we're dealing with dead people. And if God doesn't inject some life into them, they can't hear what you're saying with their heart anyway. Always dependent upon the Spirit of God, never upon ourselves. But at the same time, if we are living a life of walking as children of light, we have every right to put forth the call and say, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. And Christ will give you life. He will. By the Spirit of God. And then the sharing of the gospel. Now then. What to do with this? What shall we do? Well. First of all this. If you are partnering with darkness presently. And you're a child of the light. Repentance is needed. Repentance is not I'm sorry. Repentance means quit it. Just stop. And start trusting God. Start listening to Him again. Start doing, just take the steps that you know how to take already. And start following Him. Follow the light. There's no blessedness in walking in the darkness. You ever get up in the middle of the night? Don't turn the light on. It's painful. 
Walking in the darkness will be painful. It may seem fun. It may seem challenging. It may seem stimulating or whatever at the time. But it will be painful. So as a Christian, you can't live over there. You're actually partnering. You're trying to mix oil and water. You're trying to mix darkness and light. And they just don't mix. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And so be different. It doesn't mean avoid your lost friends. It doesn't mean to be unfriendly to unchristians, non-Christians. It, it doesn't mean to act like you're better than family members that don't know Christ. We're not talking about rejecting people here. We're talking about rejecting the deeds of darkness. And so if you're a Christian, you've been dabbling in it, do repent of it. Just repent. If you need help with repentance, we'll help you. But repentance also has a plan like here's how I'm not going to do that again. And so repentance is needed. Secondly, there are people that you know that need Christ. How fervently and consistently are you praying for them? The average Christian that I know spends more time trying to keep the saints out of heaven with their prayers than to get the lost people from going to hell. It's just a fact. We are consumed with ourselves and with our comfort. And I would say to you and to me, that needs to change in our lives. That needs to change. Look, if you're a Christian, you've got problems. Everybody has problems. We find that there are problems that are common to everybody. Everybody's got problems. And it's okay to pray about those problems. You ought to pray for those problems and about them. But I want to let you know something. In heaven, they will go away. But those people that are not saved in hell, it ain't going away. So be sure that you do not neglect that. Because again, the Holy Spirit of God has to do the stirring. The Holy Spirit of God has to do the convincing. The Holy Spirit of God has to do the saving. You can't do that part. So with that in mind, sharing the gospel is imperative, but not by yourself and on your own. So be sure you have that going on in your mind and in your heart and in your practice. And then finally this. Some of you today are here and you, your, your life is not one of walking in the light. You say, oh, preacher, preacher, I... I, I, I got saved when I was eight. Okay? Are you walking in the light? Well, no. Well, no. I mean, after I got saved, I, I came to church a little bit. But when I got a teenager, I, I drifted from God. And, and uh, I really haven't uh, really served Him since then. I come to church, though. Is that what you're going to go on? Uh, that's what you're going to hold to. Really? You're going, you're going to hold on to that? It's like, that, that's my thing. I'm, 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 I'm just, I believe me and God, me and the man upstairs are all right. Really? That, that's, that's where you're going to go with that. You see, walking in the light has fruit. There's certain fruit that comes out of it. Not 100%, right? Not, in, by, not by perfection. There, there's no tree that all of its fruit is good. But we can say about a tree that overwhelmingly bears good fruit, that's a good tree. And so that's what we're looking for in our lives. Does it show goodness and righteousness and, and truth? And if your life is just not about that, that's not even on your radar, you don't even think about those things, then I would say to you, I would have every doubt about whether whatever I did at age 8 was real. I'm not trying to talk to you about salvation, I can't. But I am trying to talk to you to Jesus if I can't. And be sure that you have him and a heart full of him. That's what my point is. Be sure that you do. Well, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for giving us truth that we can count on and rely on. We don't have to back up. We don't have to worry that you're going to change it from day to day. Father, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and we'd hope it'd be the overwhelming majority of us here, Lord, uh, God, help us, encourage us, and empower us by your grace and the working of the Spirit of God to walk in the light. Lord, it is our nature that you have given to us now. Help us to practice it and to practice it consistently, habitually in our lives. Lord, for those who are your followers and yet they have turned from walking in the light for whatever reason, they've been stepping over the line into the darkness, I pray, God, your gracious and kind conviction upon their life. Bring your child home. God, help them to get back upon the path of walking in the light. Father, I pray for those who do not know you. They don't have the life and light of Jesus and his life in them. They're trying to do good. They're trying to be okay. They're trying to be polite. They're trying to be good people. But Lord, they still have rejected your kind offer of salvation in Jesus. I pray for that person, Lord, that you would help them to see today that they really are outside of Christ. And that if they stay there, They will be eternally lost in an awful place called hell. So, Lord, would you bring that conviction, Holy Spirit of God, into their life that only you can bring. Help them to see clearly the truth of their life. Help them to see clearly the love of Jesus. And help them to flee to him before it's too late. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.